Hello and welcome to The Intersection. I'm Mark Riley. Good to be back after several weeks off. In this episode, the war between Israel and Hamas has become a protracted struggle, not just on the battlefields, but between competing propaganda machines. Who's winning? Meanwhile, the House passes a bill providing aid to Israel, but not to Ukraine. Wait, what? The damages trial against the Trump Organization rolls on, with his kids and the old man himself scheduled to testify. Why are infant deaths rising for the first time in two decades? Try as they might, the House cannot seem to get rid of serial grifter George Santos. Why? We'll get into it. Why not get started? So many questions need to be asked about the war between Israel and Hamas, I could actually fill an entire podcast with them. But let's start with these few. Do we believe the narrative of the Palestinians, that thousands of innocent civilians, many of them children, are being killed by Israeli airstrikes? Do we believe the Israelis when they say an ambulance they hit reportedly killing 15 people was carrying Hamas fighters? Do we believe the Israelis when they say they will in fact crush Hamas? Do we believe the reports from the Palestinians that nearly 10,000 people have in fact been killed? What you believe is, in my opinion, based on what media lens you're looking through. Most Western media side with the Israelis, pointing to the October 7th mass killing of innocents as justification for the Israeli response. How many times have we heard, both in media and among politicians, the argument that Israel has a right to defend itself? And they certainly do. But what of the potential for excess while pursuing that defense? Do we believe the Israeli Defense Force firing of live rounds at Palestinian children throwing rocks is justifiable, if it's true? What are we to make of the mass demonstrations, both in the U.S. and U.K. cities, supporting a ceasefire? And this is important because there's a difference between a ceasefire and a pause. And some politicians on both sides of the Atlantic and in the West generally support a pause, but not necessarily a ceasefire, and the Israelis seem to be having none of it. Why won't the Israelis agree to a ceasefire? And then there's the part of the conflict that few people in the West end up seeing. There is, in fact, an alternate narrative. It's promoted by media like Al Jazeera and others, which reach large numbers of people in the Middle East. While few attempt to justify the Hamas invasion and subsequent slaughter, they portray in stark detail the effects of Israeli bombing on women, children, and other Palestinian civilians. And that brings up a question that's nagged me from the very beginning. Can the Israelis actually succeed in wiping out Hamas by pursuing its current course of action? What exactly is the end game? Is it to make Palestinians renounce Hamas and do what? Back the Palestinian Authority, which in the Middle East, and this is important, in the Middle East, they are generally seen, I'm talking about the Palestinian Authority, as tools of the West. I submit that for every Palestinian civilian killed in this war, Israel is in fact creating more Hamas fighters. And then there's this. 
Is killing them the only way to bring Hamas to justice? Whatever happened to capturing them and bringing them before a court of law? There is much for Hamas to answer for, and that needs to be acknowledged by supporters of the Palestinian people. The alternative is to be branded supporters of barbarism by supporters of Israel. And then there is the war that's in fact being fought on social media. Here is where it gets ugly. Iran, China, and Russia are generally siding with the Palestinians and or Hamas for various reasons. The West, for equally obvious reasons, wants to delegitimize that support. Social media in general, and AI in particular, make it easy for both sides to promote their narrative, which of course means promoting their narrative as truth. Except when it isn't. Case in point, a widely circulated video of a small boy wailing for the loss of his sister is depicted as being the result of an, of an Israeli airstrike on his home. Turns out the video was shot almost a decade ago in Syria, not Gaza. If the war between Hamas and Israel proves anything, it's that misinformation, disinformation, and AI-generated propaganda is not the sole province of the combatants or even their surrogates. Fact-checkers are having a great deal of difficulty sorting fact from fiction here. The social media platforms don't seem to have a great deal of concern over falsehood promoted through them. What's new about that? Yet the fundamental questions of this conflict remain. I say again, can Israel wipe out Hamas, as is their stated intention, without causing widespread civilian casualties? Can they succeed in wiping them out at all? And how long can allies on either side hold out without breaking faith with Hamas or Israel? There are reports in Western press, press that is speaking uh, specifically of the Washington Post, that the White House is starting to tire of Israel's hardline position on the conduct of this war. They may not come out, Joe Biden is not gonna come out tomorrow and say, we support a ceasefire. However, they do wanna see some humanitarian pauses to allow people to do what the Israelis are telling them to do, which is move from Northern Gaza to Southern Gaza. And there have been reports, I don't know whether they're true or not. And quite frankly, it's starting to make my head hurt whether they're true or not. But that Israelis have hit certain uh, convoys of Palestinian people, at least the Palestinians say it's Palestinian people, civilians, who they say are in fact a convoy of Hamas fighters. There's a problem here. And again, it speaks to the propaganda war. And I really hate to say this, but I think we're about to find out who's going to end up winning that war. Up next, the trial of the Trumps. So far, Eric and Donald Jr. have testified in their fraud trial. Daddy and Ivanka are up this week. Do they have better excuses than the others? This is The Intersection. You're listening to Mark Riley. It's the only podcast where the world Welcome 
for the intersection. When it comes to Donald Trump's civil fraud trial, his family is busying itself putting distance between themselves and any wrongdoing by the Trump organization. Donald Jr. and Eric Trump both testified in the Trump Organization's civil fraud trial, but you'd think they knew nothing about the company where they were both executive vice presidents. Eric, in full combat mode, blamed any discrepancies on accountants. One thing, both these guys are their father's sons. This has been taught, apparently, from generation to generation. Never admit any wrongdoing, ever, under any circumstances. And Junior and Eric seem to have learned that lesson well. The narrative is they are blameless, while it's always somebody else's fault. Defense lawyers, meanwhile, were getting busy bad-mouthing Judge Arthur Angoran's law clerk, Allison Greenfield. Her sin? She's against Trump and company, they say, wait for it, because she's a Democrat. The judge's communication with his law clerk, Trump's lawyers argue, creates a, quote, perception of bias, end quote. Their objections, in my judgment, create a perception of foolishness. Judge Angoran promptly issued an order after court last week telling the lawyers, in effect, to shut up. In the meantime, the noise around Trump's lawyers' complaints completely overshadowed Trump the Younger's testimony. Lawyers for the Trump Organization may or may not stop bad-mouthing Allison Greenfield. After all, Trump the father has already been fined $15,000 for doing the exact same thing. It could be seen as a diversion from the central question of whether the Trumps committed fraud, which, by the way, this judge has already found. The trial is only about how much they'll have to pay for their grifting. After Donald testifies this week, his daughter Ivanka is scheduled to give evidence on Wednesday. This is after she asked to be excused because it wasn't convenient for her to fly from Florida to New York on a school day. Very funny. Somebody, and I, I don't know whether it's accurate or not, so maybe I shouldn't even say anything, but there was a posting that made it sound as if she's got nannies and minders and sitters, etc., 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 who mind her kids anyway. So it shouldn't be that big a deal. She also argued unsuccessfully that she was no longer a resident of New York, so why should she have to testify at this trial? She's already been, by the way, severed from the rest of the family in terms of the charges involved. And while we're on the subject and talking about the Trumps coming up snake eyes in court, a judge in Colorado has ruled a trial on whether Donald can appear on the ballot in that state after allegedly violating the 14th Amendment in words and actions leading up to the January 6th, 2022, uh, sorry, January 6th, 2021 insurrection can in fact go forward. Here's the rub, according to the New York Times. This is a direct quote. The case, one of several similar ones around the country, was filed by six Colorado voters who argue that Mr. Trump is disqualified under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which bars from office anyone 
who, quote, engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the Constitution after having taken an oath to support it. Trump argues that whatever he said and did on January 6, 2021 was protected under the First Amendment. That's strange and galling. Galling quite a bit, actually, if recent polls are to be believed. In fact, a recent Siena College New York Times poll has Trump up over Joe Biden in five, count them, five key swing states. Worse still, President Biden's support among black and other voters of color appears to be vanishing. This poll said that 22% of blacks support Trump. That's a high watermark for Republicans in the recent past. All this in service of a man who is facing 91 charges of wrongdoing. 91. Go figure. Up next, George Santos, the serial grifter of the U.S. House of Representatives, is having better luck than Donald Trump. They tried to kick him out of the House, but couldn't. Want to know why? Stick around. And finally, why are infant deaths at a level not seen in 20 years? This is The Intersection. Wherever you are, you're here with Mark Riley. It's the voice that you know and the information you can trust. Welcome back to The Intersection. To call George Santos, Republican congressman from Long Island, a fabulist is to damn him with faint praise. He's lied so often his fellow Long Island lawmakers want him gone. And yet, this guy has managed to survive. And, by the way, it wasn't even close, despite the corruption charges he faces. There was a vote to expel him, and that vote ended up 179 in favor of expulsion and 213 opposed. So they couldn't bounce him. 30 Democrats voted... uh, It's really difficult to say this. 30 Democrats voted against expelling this grifter. The argument for some goes like this. There would have to be at least a two-thirds majority to get rid of him. Long odds at best. Some House members worried that if he were expelled before a criminal trial or a House Ethics Committee hearing, it would set a dangerous precedent. And it might. I would argue keeping him is and always has been a matter of political expediency more than anything else. He's putting on a brave face saying he deserves due process, which he obviously does. His ability to chart the course of American legislation is a bit much to swallow. Now, what do I mean by political expediency? The margin in the House, the margin that the Republicans currently hold, is razor thin. There's an election coming up next year. For George Santos to be expelled narrows that margin. And that's what Republicans, from Kevin McCarthy to this new guy, Mike Johnson, that's their calculation, their political calculation. Don't worry about the grift. We need his vote. That's essentially 
what they're saying. Now, if you don't want to expel them because you need all these, you have to, you know, surmount all these hurdles. You have to get a two-thirds majority, etc., etc. If you don't want to expel him, why not at least not allow him to vote on any bills that come before the House? Is that, in fact, too much to ask right now, it seems? Yeah, it is. And finally, why are babies dying at such an alarming rate? The infant mortality rate for black and indigenous babies has gone up for the first time in two decades. Part of this and maternal mortality can be attributed to the COVID pandemic. The scary part is that the rate jumped the most in women between 25 and 29 years of age. That is prime time for having babies. Doctors and scientists, while acknowledging this truth, say they don't know why it's happening. But with all the foolishness that passes for news these days, it would seem to me that this ought to command much more attention, much more attention than it has until now. Thanks so much for listening to The Intersection. The executive producer is Kim Jack Riley, and music is by Tevin Thompson. Until next time, please be well.